The Hamlet Podcast, Episode 14. Hello and welcome to this exploration of Shakespeare's Hamlet with me, your host, Connor Hanretty. We concluded the previous episode in the middle of Claudius's long speech addressed to Hamlet. The new king has been encouraging the younger man to let go of his mourning for his dead father, to cast off his suits of solemn black, to be of better cheer. It's hard to imagine how Shakespeare's audience might have viewed Claudius here. He's trying to do the right thing, or at least he seems to be. There are some vague hints coming at us, like the unwitting echo of Cain murdering his brother Abel, that perhaps there's a more sinister explanation for the previous king's death and for his brother's ascent to the throne. And if we are picking up on them, his encouragement to Hamlet to give over all this silly mourning nonsense feels all the more worrying. Claudius hasn't quite finished yet, and he continues, This must be so. We pray you, throw to earth this unprevailing woe, and think of us as of a father. For let the world take note, you are the most immediate to our throne, and with no less nobility of love than that which dearest father bears his son do I impart toward you. For your intent in going back to school in Wittenberg, it is most retrograde to our desire, and we beseech you, bend you to remain here in the cheer and comfort of our eye, our chiefest courtier, cousin, and our son. That's quite a long batch of text, but it's worth hearing in its entirety. Whether or not you like to think that Shakespeare was a fan of neuro-linguistic programming, there's certainly a good deal of suggestion in Claudius's speech. As we discussed in the last episode, there's been intense repetition of father, 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 and then fault, 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 and now it's the word son that gets repeated. Claudius is admittedly no match for the sophistication of Hamlet's wit, but Shakespeare does give him at least enough rope to hang himself with. We pray you throw to earth this unprevailing woe, almost makes Hamlet's grief sound stupid or misplaced. Hamlet should discard it, as he would something he has outgrown. And here comes the first real kicker, and think of us as of a father. It will, of course, be revealed later just how murderous this king can be. But isn't it clever that he tries to get Hamlet on side and to think of him, and therefore presumably treat him, as a substitute father? Never trust anyone who can't or won't differentiate between public responsibility and private behaviour. Claudius, like any good bully, knows how to entice when he needs to, and almost in the same breath as he attempts to have Hamlet forget his own father, he confirms that Hamlet is heir to his throne. Shakespeare doesn't seem especially bothered with explaining to us how succession works in Scandinavia, and so be it. Claudius is happy here to announce publicly that Hamlet can hereafter be considered his son. For let the world take note, you are the most immediate to our throne, and with no less nobility of love than that which dearest father bears his son, do I impart toward you. Like Laertes a few moments before, Perhaps Hamlet would be forgiven for wanting to get out of Denmark as quickly as possible. While Laertes is a student in France, Hamlet has been studying in Wittenberg, in Saxony, which is now a part of Germany. This is entirely Shakespeare's own invention. The source stories all predate anything like the idea of a European university. And indeed, several of the young men in this play are all students. It's worth noting where Shakespeare has decided to send Hamlet to school. Of any of the already famous centres of learning in Europe, he chooses Wittenberg, which is deeply associated with Martin Luther and the Protestant Reformation. Hamlet's religion, or philosophy, 
will be of interest throughout the play. Indeed, we've already spoken of the shift from the medieval world of King Hamlet towards the Renaissance world of Shakespeare and Prince Hamlet. No accident, then, that he should be a student in one of Europe's most forward-looking cities. But it doesn't look like he's going to be able to go back there any time soon. At best, Claudius here is being very tactless and tiresome in his oily zeal to secure the national status quo, and at worst, he is completely erasing Hamlet's father and taking over every part of his life. How suffocating it must feel for Hamlet to be watching his uncle do all of this so smoothly and then reject his request to be allowed to return to university. For your intent in going back to school in Wittenberg, it is most retrograde to our desire. How might we interpret Claudius here? Is he genuinely eager to keep Hamlet around? Or is he a tyrannical bully who wants to keep his friends close and his potential enemies closer? The ambiguity of Claudius's menace here is fascinating. To the outside observer, he's a concerned family man trying to keep the family, such as it is, together. But the more you know, the more you can feel his vice grip beginning to tighten. So long as Hamlet is in Denmark, he can keep an eye on him. And that eye, as it were, is even mentioned. And we beseech you, bend you to remain here in the cheer and comfort of our eye, our chiefest courtier, cousin and our son. Does anyone think here for even a moment that Hamlet will be sitting in cheer and comfort here any time soon? Of course not. Claudius is already shaping up to be a brilliant villain. Her Majesty the Queen hasn't spoken in a while, and now she chimes in too. Let not thy mother lose her prayers, Hamlet. I prithee stay with us. Go not to Wittenberg. One wonders what might have happened if the young prince prevailed and insisted that he really had to go back to Wittenberg which I heard memorably described once in rehearsal as Hogwarts for Lutheran Protestants. But alas, if he did, we wouldn't necessarily have a play. Hamlet is substantially less aggressive in his response to his mother this time round, and he replies, I shall in all my best obey you, madam. He agrees to stay and obey his mother, addressed formally as you, rather than the king. The gleeful, smiling, menacing monarch seems pleased enough with this, and he wraps up the day's courtly business, happy that all has been sorted out. Why, tis a loving and a fair reply. Be as ourself in Denmark. Madam, come. This gentle and unforced accord of Hamlet sits smiling to my heart. In grace whereof, no jocund health that Denmark drinks today, but the great cannon to the clouds should tell. And the kings rouse, the heavens all brew it again, Respeaking earthly thunder, come away. Claudius is fascinating because you know you shouldn't trust him. There's absolutely no concrete evidence from anything he says that points to him being a successful murderer. There's nothing in his speech that isn't measured, practical or good-natured. And yet, somehow, Shakespeare manages to imbue this new king with a brilliant kind of shadiness that is intriguing and yet off-putting. Hamlet is, of course, our barometer here. His distaste and mistrust are immediate indicators for us. Blithely whitewashing Hamlet's gloom, Claudius calls Hamlet's agreement his gentle and unforced accord. And thus we can already see that he's rewriting the story as he announces it, regardless of Hamlet's actual feelings. Indeed, there's even a threat possible in that word, unforced. Watching a tyrant narrate and dictate things to their own skewed point of view is of course terrifying, 
that at least in this story we can trust that things won't always go Claudius's way. But for now, they're just as he wants them to be, and each happy toast he drinks today will resound to heaven. It's all a bit much, really, but Claudius seems to have to overdo it for this entire scene. We have been watching his management of the Danish court for nearly five episodes now, and with this self-satisfied flourish, he leaves the stage. Just about everybody goes with him, and so we are left with just Hamlet to talk to us. He has plenty to say, and we will hear from him at length next time. Thank you very much for listening, from all over the world it seems, to these podcasts. It's really exciting to see how many of you are tuning in, and if you'd like to get in touch, I'd love to hear from you on Twitter or on Facebook, or indeed via the website, thehamletpodcast.com. I'll be back with a new episode next Sunday, where indeed we'll have our first soliloquy of the play, and I hope you'll tune in then.